Uh, well, as I said, it doesn't get any um, uh, less radical. Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God just turns on its head everything that we might think. Uh, I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. Uh, it is extraordinary, and we're not very good at doing it. Um, just imagine... How different the world would be if every follower of Jesus Christ actually put any of this into practice. I remember reading a newspaper article uh, some weeks or months after the uh, 9-11 attacks on the Twin Towers, uh, when the, um, when the, the attacks on Afghanistan uh, were proposed and then followed through. And I remember reading a newspaper article suggesting that Rather than launch a military campaign against Afghanistan, perhaps the better thing to do would be to send millions of dollars of aid to try and rescue uh, a broken uh, country and a broken nation. And to bless the nation rather than attacking, maybe the right thing to do would have been to bless that nation with uh, an overwhelming response of aid and support. And of course, that didn't happen. We launched a military uh, campaign. And the very idea that we should respond to the 9-11 attacks by blessing those who had done it is, I mean, utterly uh, preposterous. It would be ridiculous. It would never have been entertained in a million years. And whether or not that would have been the right thing to do, uh, I don't know. I'm just saying that was one of the responses that was suggested. The reality is we are not good at loving our enemies and the the Greek word that um, Luke uses is is agape it's not the the love that you would have for a spouse or the love that you would have for a dear friend but it is the it is the love that involves wanting the very very best for that person Jesus saying you should want the very very best for your enemies and it does not come naturally I remember a few years ago being involved in a situation where uh, at the time, I was I was part of a team, and there was a there was a breakdown in relationship in the team between uh, myself and the and the leader of the team. And uh, long story short, it all went horribly wrong. There was a breakdown in our relationship, and I came away feeling that I had been um, ill treated, and uh, there were mistakes that I had made and things that I had done wrong that contributed to that situation. But I felt I'd been ill-treated and everything in me wanted to, uh, wanted revenge, I wanted to hit back, I wanted to justify myself, I wanted to explain. The last thing I wanted to do, um, humanly speaking, was bless those I felt who had ill-treated me. And it was, it was a real decision of the will that I would pray for them and, and, and seek to bless them. It did not come easily. It doesn't come easily to us to do these things. We read this teaching of Jesus and we think, oh, that's all very nice. But we don't do it. How different our world would be, how different our communities would be if we actually did this. If we loved our enemies, did good to those who hated us, blessed those who curse us, pray for those who ill treat you. Verse 31 is what's known as the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Uh, there are um, lots of uh, philosophies and religious uh, religions that express this golden rule, but often it's expressed in the negative. It's expressed in the way that you uh, don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. 
So you don't want someone to hit you in the face, so don't hit anybody else in the face. It, when it's expressed negatively, it's, it's easier to do than when it's expressed positively. Jesus expresses it positively. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So how do you want other people to treat you? How would you like other people to love you? What would you like others? How would you like to be treated? And then Jesus says, well, do that to your enemies. That's a whole different ballgame. So what I want to reflect on this morning is how do we, how do we learn to obey what Jesus teaches us? Because this is a principle of the kingdom of God. This is how we are supposed to live if we're following Jesus. And we are not very good at it, most of us, most of the time. So I want to suggest this morning that there are three things that we need to remember in order to help us live like Jesus suggests and uh, go the extra mile, do the extra thing, uh, not just be nice to people who are nice to us but be overly and extravagantly generous towards those who reject us. Three things to remember. First thing to remember, we need to remember who God is. We need to remember the character of God. And all too easily, we forget and misapprehend the nature of God. I have been reading a number of posts in the last few weeks uh, that suggest that um, God is to blame for coronavirus. And that God is not doing anything about it. That God is uh, impotent or uncaring when it comes to the ills of this world and the diseases of this world. We misapprehend the nature of God. When my uh, my mum was uh, a small girl, when she was uh, probably 10 or 11 years old, she grew up in a, a very strict Christian denomination. And at the time, that denomination took very literally some of the Apostle Paul's words about the fact that a woman's long hair was her glory and that uh, women had to have long hair. And at the age of about 10 or 11, my mum decided that she didn't want long hair anymore. And one day she, she cut her pigtails off and hid them in a drawer. And I've never understood why she bothered hiding them in a drawer because her mother noticed that they were missing from her head uh, before she found them in the drawer. But anyway, when uh, my grandmother discovered what my mum had done, her response was outrage. And she called in the pastor of their local church and the pastor gave my mum such a dressing down and told her that if she ever did anything as wicked as that again, she would surely go to hell. So you can imagine what impression that gave my mum of what God was like. And till her dying day, my mum could never shake off the thought that that was what God was like. He was mean, he was judgmental, he was a spoil sport, he was looking for reasons to exclude. And it's not a modern thing, it's happened throughout history that we people misapprehend the will of God. Some of you will know uh, back in the Old Testament in the book of Judges, in a season where the people of God are being ruled by judges rather than kings. And all the time things are going wrong because the people of God are constantly Uh, rejecting God and doing their own thing. And in Judges chapter 6, we read the story of Gideon. And at the time, for seven years, the people of God are being harassed and brutalised by the Midianites. Every year at harvest time, the Midianites come from the east and basically they trash Israel. Uh, They they steal their crops, they murder murder and they kill the livestock. Year after year after year, it goes on. And Gideon, in his eyes... God is to blame. 
Uh, Gideon says at one point, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord God bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. The Lord has abandoned us. It's all God's fault. So often when things are not going well, that's the first thought that comes to mind. Well, God has abandoned me. Where is God? Actually, what the Lord says to Gideon is actually, he says, I told you not to worship other gods. I told you when you went into the promised land to worship me and me only. I said, I am the Lord your God. Don't worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. You have not listened to. So Gideon blames God. And God says, actually, there's, a, there's, a, there's something else going on here. But all too easily, we misapprehend the nature of God. And we need to get into our heads and into our hearts the true character of God. In a few chapters time, uh, in Luke chapter 15, we will read the story of the, the parable that Jesus tells about a father who has two sons. We know it as the, uh, the story of the prodigal son, which is just, it's not a very good title because it's, uh, it's really about both sons who are both lost. But anyway, we'll go with the prodigal son because um, hopefully that will mean something to you. If you know the story, the son, the younger son says to his father, I want my inheritance. I want it now. I wish you were dead. Give me what will be mine when you're dead. He takes it. He goes off and he wastes it. He squanders it in wild living and he ends up in a mess. He ends up with nothing. He ends up eating pig's will. And then he thinks, well, if I go home to my father, at least I can be a slave and I'll have something to eat. So he crawls home on his knees to his father. And what is the father's response? Now this, Jesus tells this story to illustrate the character and the nature of God. What does the father say? Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's what God is like. That's the welcome that the father gives to those who come home. He doesn't give us what we deserve. At uh, the end of uh, this passage that we're looking at, um, Jesus says, if we do these things, then your reward will be great and you will be sons and daughters of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. God is kind. He is merciful. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. God doesn't give us what we deserve. The son, when he comes home, doesn't get what he deserves. He gets mercy because the, the heart of God, the nature of God, the essential characteristic of God is to love and to be overwhelmingly generous. Now, that's why the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Rome, writes about the extravagant generosity and mercy of God. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 10, Paul writes this. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Verse 10, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? God's love for us is extravagant. It is overwhelming. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes this. He says, um, it is God's kindness that leads you towards repentance. It is God's kindness that leads you towards repentance. So if we are to begin to love our enemies and bless our enemies and do good to those who curse you, we have to understand that this is what God does. This is what God is like. This is the generosity of God and we're supposed to follow his example. So first thing, remember what God is like and his extravagant love for you and for me, that he gives us what we do not deserve. Second thing, remember who you are. I need to remember who I am because we are, in verse 35, we are, we are the ungrateful and the wicked who have received God's mercy. And because we have received God's mercy, we have been utterly transformed. We have been welcomed into the kingdom of God, not because we deserve it or because we've earned it, but because God in his outrageous, extravagant, prodigal love has made it possible. And so we now need to start giving away what we have received. There is a principle in the kingdom of God, which is this. It's the principle of generosity. It is that God generously and extravagantly and overwhelmingly pours out grace and mercy upon us and then expects us to give it away. It's, um, it's embedded in the Lord's Prayer, the line in the Lord's Prayer that in which we say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In other words, God gives to us expecting that we will give away what we have received. And however you look at the kingdom of God, that is an essential principle. God gives to us, expects us to give it away. We are citizens of heaven already because of what Jesus has done for us. We already dwell in the kingdom of God. So we now need to act appropriately. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we are new creations. We are newly created. He says our old nature has gone and we now have a new nature that we need to begin living out of. In other words, we need to start living out of the divine nature that we have received. We need to start behaving like God. God loves his enemies. He loved us before we loved him. We now need to start doing the same. We have this new nature. We need to start living out of it. Uh, in John's Gospel, John chapter 4, uh, you, may, uh, you may know of this um, encounter that Jesus has with a woman by a well. And the woman comes, her life is broken, she's thirsty, she comes to the well at midday, the hottest time of the day. Uh, she comes because she's an outcast in her community, uh, she's physically thirsty and her soul is thirsty. And she has this amazing encounter with God in which, um, uh, with Jesus, in which uh, Jesus says, you know, I know you've come here because you are thirsty and the water that you will get from this well 
Uh, we don't have to keep coming back. Because you'll have a drink and you'll go home and you'll get thirsty. And you'll have to come back to the well and get another drink. But he says, I can give you a drink that will satisfy your thirst, the thirst of your soul, forever. You'll never have to come back and get another drink. He says, uh, this is um, John chapter 4 verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's the difference between a well and a spring. Uh, I think one of the mistakes that we sometimes make is that we, we don't realise that when we follow Jesus, there is a spring of life within us. We still act so often as if we, kept, we had to go to a well in order to drink. It's um, I sometimes characteristic, characterise it as, and I don't want this in any way to sound judgmental, but sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that... Um, that uh, we're kind of we're we're religious churchgoers. We're religious churchgoers. Our going to church is our going to the well in order to be refreshed, and and that's why it's so important that we you know we need to go to church. And um, let me say, there's nothing wrong with it. We can't actually do that at the moment. We're in a season at the moment where we can't go to church in order to drink at the well. We're in our own homes. And maybe this is a season of life in which God is reminding us of the fact, actually, we don't, it's not about keep going to the well in order to drink. It's recognising that there is a spring of life within us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. The divine nature dwells within us. About four years ago, a natural spring popped up in the middle of the lawn of my house just next door. And uh, no matter how dry the summer is, uh, last summer we had those weeks and weeks of really hot weather and most of the lawn went brown but there's this patch in the middle of the lawn that was always lush grass because the spring just keeps bubbling up from underneath it's a nightmare to mow that bit of the lawn because the lawnmower sinks into the grass no matter how dry the ground is that little patch there's a spring that's what we're like we are new creations in Christ and the divine love now dwells within us so we need to express it so remember who God is he is extravagantly generous and merciful if you are a follower of Jesus remember who you are the divine nature God's Holy Spirit now dwells within you within me so we need to start acting accordingly we need to start behaving like God Third thing, we need to remember who our enemies are. We need to remember who our enemies are. We need to remember those who hurt us and mistreat us and let us down. Who are they? Well, they are people created in the image of God. They are people whom God loves extravagantly. They are people for whom Jesus went to the cross. They are made in the image of God. And like us, they don't reflect that image brilliantly. But God loves them. And God wants to have mercy upon them. I want to draw to a close by uh, just reading a few words from uh, a book by Richard Vernbrand called Tortured for Christ. Some of you will be familiar with the life of Richard Vernbrand. He was a pastor in 
Romania in the 40s, 50s, 60s during the time of uh, communism. And he was arrested and for 14 years was uh, tortured, brutalized, brainwashed by the communist authorities. Uh, For 14 years he was in prison. Uh, For three years he was in solitary confinement when he was eventually uh, released and allowed to come to the West. Uh, he was he was so physically broken that he never he never fully recovered. Uh, he bore those injuries for the rest of his life. But in his book, uh, he has a chapter uh, entitled "Defeating Communism with the Love of Christ." And uh, perhaps we may think of uh, those who have hurt us, those who have wronged us, and perhaps uh, put their names where he has put communism. So defeating whoever it might be, with the love of Christ. And uh, he writes this. Uh, Christians are more than mere people. They are children of God, partakers of the divine nature. Therefore, tortures endured in communist prisons have not made me hate communists. They are God's creatures. How can I hate them? Neither can I be their friend. Friendship means one soul in two breasts. I am not one soul with the communists. They hate the notion of God. I love God. He says, my aim is to spread the gospel to the communists, to give them the good news about Christ, who is my Lord and who loves the communists. He has said himself that he loves every person and that he would rather leave 99 righteous sheep than allow the one that went astray to remain lost. I have seen Christians in communist prisons with 50 pounds of chains on their feet, tortured with red hot iron pokers in whose throats spoonfuls of salt had been forced, being kept afterwards without water, starving, whipped, suffering from cold and praying with fervour for the communists. This is humanly inexplicable. It is the love of Christ which was poured out in our hearts. Later, the communists who had tortured us were sent to prison too. Under communism, communists and even communist rulers are put in prison almost as often as their adversaries. Now the tortured and the torturer were in the same cell. And while the non-Christians showed hatred towards their former inquisitors and beat them, Christians took their defence even at the risk of being beaten themselves and accused of being accomplices with communism. I have seen Christians give away their last slice of bread. We were given one slice a week. And the medicine that could save their lives to a sick communist torturer who is now a fellow prisoner. The things that Jesus asks of his followers are humanly impossible. But that's the whole point, because in Jesus we are invited to participate in the divine nature and live accordingly. So that's the challenge for us this morning. Will we understand who God is? Will we understand who we are in Christ? And will we understand who our enemies are? And will we begin to act accordingly? I said at the beginning, how different would our world be? How different would the churches be if only we would act like this? We would take it seriously. So as I close this morning, I want you to think 
of someone who has wronged you. Someone who you have not forgiven. Someone against whom you may be holding a grudge. Someone who is your enemy. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to behave accordingly. And I say this to myself. I want to act accordingly and to have mercy. To be merciful. To live as a child of God. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then I want you to think about the extraordinary love that God has for you. Whoever you are, whatever you are, God has mercy. So let's pray together for a moment. Then we're going to sing a final hymn and then have a final prayer of blessing. Father, thank you so much for your grace and mercy and goodness towards us. Your extravagant love in which you show mercy to your enemies. You show mercy to those who who don't deserve it. Father, this morning, may we understand who you truly are. May we abide in your love and your mercy. And then, Father, may we live it out. Father, if we have called to mind someone to whom we need to show mercy, then let us do so. Let us bless them so richly and so amazingly that we take their breath away. Father, we can't do this in our own strength. But in Christ, we are new creations. We are your children. We begin to share your divine nature. So help us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.